Welcome, thanks for joining us. You're about to hear a message from our Wednesday night Solid Rock Youth Group service. Solid Rock is a ministry of Living Word Family Church, and if you'd like to know more, check us out on our website at www.livingwordfamily.org. All right, who can tell me what we talked about last week? Keely. Yes, the helmet of salvation. Now, who can tell me the importance of putting on that helmet of salvation as part of our spiritual armament? What's important about that, Aiden? <clears throat> okay, we saved and get into heaven. What's the significance of putting on that helmet of salvation? What was that protecting us? Yeah, yeah. So blows the head. So specifically that 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 battle of the mind. All right, that spiritual warfare that goes uh, that goes on in between these two ears. That battle of our minds. Is that what you're gonna say, Zoe? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what we talk about, the helmet of salvation, our assurance of salvation. So when the enemy tries to attack us and say, you're not really saved, what are you, what, who do you think you are, what do you think you're doing, you're not really who God says you are, all these kind of things that go on in our minds, temptations, all this kind of stuff, this battle that goes on in our minds, that helmet of salvation gives us that assurance of salvation so that we can stand strong in who we are, sons and daughters of God, all right? So tonight, we're going to talk about the last piece of armor, but it's just a quick refresher. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And I remember this has been kind of our chapter that we've been going over and touching on through this, through this series for the last couple of months. And in verse 13, it says, Therefore, therefore what? Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual warfare raging around us, okay? And God has given us spiritual weapons to fight and defend. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, or the chest plate of God's righteousness. For the shoes, put on the peace that comes from good new, the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The shoes of the gospel, preparation of the gospel. Verse 16, in addition to all these, so after you get on this basic gear, in addition to all of these, hold up that shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, word in this context in other places, you see the Word of God, and it's translated from the word logos, or word. In this particular context, this is actually rhema, which also means word, but it gives a more specific context. This is the Word of God that we know and we use. It's like close hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? Andrew, come here real quick. Well, that's technically his sword, so he let me borrow it. All right, so Andrew has a large battle sword, okay? Go ahead and unsheathe that bad boy. Look at that action right there. Now, you hold it in battle stance, all right? Go ahead. We're not going to actually fight here. Chill out. Okay, so Andrew's sword is quite a bit bigger, right? What do I have here? Yeah, this is a dagger. That's exactly right. Now, compare these two swords, okay? So Andrew has a larger sword that's going to be good in farther battle, okay? He's going to be able to do long swipes with this sword, right? He's going to be able to hit people farther away, okay? So there's that. Oh, that's a, I like that sword. So then here is a shorter sword. This is a dagger. This is meant for close hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? So if I get inside of his, this area right here, okay, he's not going to be able to do much with this huge sword. 
He's not going to have enough room to swing it or anything. What am I going to do? I'm going to come in, right? And I'm going to, this, this is close hand-to-hand combat right here with this dagger because it's shorter and I don't have to have as much room to move it, right? So when we're talking about in this particular verse, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it's that rhema, the Word of God, or that close hand-to-hand, the spoken Word, the spoken Word. All right, thank you, Alex, very much. Excuse me, Alex. I say that, Andrew. Man, I am digging that. I might keep that. Is that okay? Oh, no. Give money away, and youth group like is going out of style, but you won't let me have your sword, huh? All right, whatever. All right. So, we've got a dagger here, the spoken word of God, meant to be used in hand-to-hand combat, close combat, close quarters, okay? This isn't some giant sword where I'm slicing shields or anything like that. This is made to be used in close hand-to-hand combat, okay? That's very important to keep in mind because sometime the enemy will come in at us and come at us hard with sickness, headaches, panic attacks. Remember, we talked about that. This is something that's been huge that I've been seeing more and more and more lately are panic attacks, depression, things of this nature. We have to be able to speak the Word of God. We have to be able not only to hold up our shield of faith to quench some of these fiery darts that the enemy's trying to throw at us, but we have to be able to speak the Word of God in that close hand-to-hand combat and attack. All right? Does that make sense? We have to be able to do that. So, when a soldier goes out into battle, let's think a little bit more current, okay? When a soldier goes out into battle, most all soldiers, all right, have some type of a rifle that's used for what? Longer fire, they're firing at longer distances. And what else do they have? They almost always have a service pistol, some type of a pistol with them, right? Is that to shoot down range and try to get somebody three buildings away? No, that's used as a more closer hand-to-hand If somebody's coming up on you or somebody's closer, you're going to use a smaller weapon, right? But it's just as effective. It just has a different purpose and different use. So when we have the spoken word of God, in addition to the other armor and the other things that we have for our defense and protection and for attacking the enemy and for pushing the enemy out of where, you know, when we have a spot God wants us to be, that path God wants us to be on, the enemy's going to try to do everything he can to knock us off to knock us off our guard, to knock us off that path, that, that, the, the, the out of sight of the will of God, okay? And we have to be ready to speak God's word into that and attack the enemy. We have to be able to attack him. We have to speak that word and know God's word and know when the enemy tries to bring a panic attack on us, we know to speak that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Peace, love, and a sound mind. So we can speak that out and if any fear or panic is trying to come against us, man, we speak that word out and we strike and we attack, okay? Now, let me give you an example of this in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, this is when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, okay? So after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. For 40 days and 40 nights, he was fasting in the wilderness, so he was hungry. And in verse 3, we see, During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. So here, what do we have here? He's trying to get Jesus to doubt that he's the Son of God. So what does he do? He says, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. So he's trying to get Jesus to doubt, and at the same time, trying to get Jesus to abuse his power and do something God has not asked him to do. 
And then in verse 4, I love this, it says, But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did he do? He jabbed with the word of God. He didn't just think about it. He spoke it out. He spoke it out, and that is key. Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are, now see, here we go again, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, now we see the devil trying to use God's word against Jesus. If the scriptures say he will order, or excuse me, he says, the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt, hurt your foot on a stone. And that is indeed scripture taken out of context, used improperly. Can you catch that? How many times have you guys heard Scripture used out of context or improperly. Yeah, I think most of you have, even if you don't really realize what, what's going on. I can give you two key ones that I hear misused all the stinking time. Number one, I hear the um, money is the root of all evil. How many times have you guys heard that? Well, those rich people, they're terrible. Money is the root of all evil. Everybody knows that. No, see, you're misquoting the, who knows it? The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. I hear that one misquoted all the time. The other one I hear misquoted is, oh, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge. Oh, you're a Christian, right? So you shouldn't be judging. Well, that's taken out of context. The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. For the measure in which you judge, it will be measured back to you. So if I'm going to judge someone or, or make an assertion to someone based on their lifestyle or things that they're, they're not doing right or what have you, I need to understand that if I'm doing some of that same thing in my life, I'm going to be judged the same way. Does that make sense? But people automatically say, oh, you shouldn't judge. We make judgments all the time. Every single day we make judgments. You judge whether you should turn left or you should turn right. You judge whether you should make this choice or that choice. We make judgments all the time. You judge whether you should hang out with somebody based on whether they're a good person or a bad person. If you've got somebody that's making bad choices all the time, that's always getting into trouble, what if you decide not to hang out with that person because you're like, okay, I don't really want what they're doing, so I'm not going to hang out with that person. You just made a judgment. It's okay to judge. We just need to understand that as we judge others, we'll be judged by that same measure, okay? So that verse is always taken out. I hear that taken out of context all the time. So we see the enemy here tries to uh, take a verse out of context and misuse it to try to throw Jesus off. And then Jesus says, Jesus responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God, or you must not put God to a foolish test, okay? How many times did we hear the Pharisees shout to Jesus, show us a sign, show us a sign? What were they doing? They're trying to test Jesus. They, all they want to see is a sign they want to show, Okay. So what Jesus said, the scriptures also say, do not put God to a foolish test. Do not test the Lord your God. So there Jesus is again, quoting the word and jabbing the enemy, all right? Verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said in verse 9, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. How many of you have ever been tempted because somebody said, I'm going to give you this, and all you have to do is give up this. I'm going to give you this, but all you have to do is 
give me your heart. All you have to do is give me your devotion. All you have to do is give me all of your attention, and I'll give you this. I'll give you that. It may not be something like money or whatever, but you know what I mean? It's like, hey, you can be part of our group of friends if you'll give up this whole church thing, or if you'll give up this whole God thing, or if you'll give up this or that, or spending time with your family. You can hang out with us if you give up this or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's these ultimatums, okay? So the enemy, uh, Satan said, I will give everything to you, because remember, Satan is the God, small g, of this world. And why is he the God of this world? Because Adam and Eve signed it over to him. They were given dominion over this world, and when they sinned, they signed the lease of this world over to Satan. And that's why we have all the horrible junk, not to, not to mention sin. Obviously, sin is a part of that transaction as well. But that's why we have all the famine, earthquakes, wars, all this stuff going on, is because sin and control of this world went to the enemy. All right? Well, that's kind of a topic for another time. So Satan has control over us. So when he was telling Jesus, I will give all of this to you, there's a measure of truth in that because he does. It belongs to him. He has the lease on this world right now for a time. All right? And he said, I will give it all to you. All you must do is kneel down and worship me. Can anybody tell me before I read Jesus' response what's wrong with that? Aiden? That's right. Satan is asking Jesus to worship him, but we know who we are to worship, and that's what Jesus says. Verse 10, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. They ministered to Jesus. So we see three separate attempts, three separate attacks, okay, that the enemy was launching towards Jesus. And what did Jesus do every single time? What did he do every single time? He jabbed with the word. He struck with the word. This is close hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? This isn't something way down the road. This, isn't some, this is something that's going on right here and now. Jesus is dealing with these temptations and dealing with this, uh, these doubts even. The enemy's trying to place doubts in his mind about who he truly is. If you're the son of God, you should be able to do this, right? You know what I mean? And so how many times does the enemy try to give you doubts? Hey, if you're really saved, if you're really a child of God, should you really be doing this? Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe you're not really a child of God. And so we say, I have been saved. I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I am a child of the Most High God. Jesus said that I am a king and I am a son. I am a priest of God. That's what his word says. That is who I am. That's the position that I hold. All right? We need to know God's word and be ready, be ready to attack with his word as the enemy tries to, <clears throat> excuse me, as the enemy tries to put these attacks in on us, okay? So, I'm going to go over real quick kind of the armor that we've talked about so far, right? Because the sword was the last part of this armor that was, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. So the enemy tries, enemy. The enemy tries to deceive us, and we have the belt of truth, honesty with God, being honest with God and honest with ourselves, knowing and understanding the word. We have the truth of God to fight the enemy's deceptions. He tries to accuse us, and we have the breastplate of righteousness. We apply what we know to be true in God's word. We apply that to our lives, and we live it out. We are righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ, and we put that on like a breastplate to protect us from the accusations of the enemy. He tries to get us with temptations, lies, and deceptions. And that's when we hold up our shield of faith. 
We have absolute confidence in God and his promises, his power, and his plan for our lives. And so we know that when the enemy tries to attack us with those deceptions and lies and temptations, we block those things because we know who we are in Christ. We have absolute confidence in God and his promises and his plan for our lives. And that's an important one as well, okay? So when the enemy tries to steer you off course, you have to be confident in the plan that God has for you. The battle of our minds, okay? These doubts and temptations that try to come in our minds. Uh, thoughts that just come out of nowhere that try to get you off track and off course and try to get you thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about. The helmet of salvation, our assurance of our salvation through Christ Jesus, our certainty that we've been delivered from sin, and the fact that we have control over our minds and our bodies, okay? The Bible says that we can bring our bodies into subjection, so we can control our bodies, and that includes any urges or any kind of uh, uh, stray thoughts that try to come and get you to do things or get you to think things that you shouldn't be doing or thinking, okay? Then we have that hand-to-hand -hand combat, those times when the enemy tries to deal a direct blow right to us, okay? Right to our minds. Oh, if you're so-and-so, if you're, if you're really a child of God, uh, shouldn't you be doing this instead of this? Or would you have ever made that mistake if you're really a child of God? He tries to give you these doubts and hand-to-hand -hand combat. We use the sword of the Spirit, knowing God's Word, speaking God's word, the spoken word of God. This isn't just thinking it in our heads. This is speaking it out. Joe McGee, a uh, great speaker, came and ministered uh, a couple different times. And one of the things that he mentioned that I never really thought of uh, is that every time Jesus used the word of God against Satan, it hurt him. It really, I mean, it did damage to Satan. It was a brutal hit to Satan. All right, is because Satan cannot stand the word of God. Satan cannot stand the truth of God's word. Satan is referred to as a liar, the father of lies. So when we attack him with the truth in God's word, it literally hurts him. It literally hurts him. So when we see again in Matthew 4, you don't have to turn there, Hunter, but when we see again in Matthew 4, uh, at the end of verse 11, let me get back to here real quick. And it says, the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So the devil went away, not because he was out of temptations, but because he was, he was hurt. He was hurting from all of these attacks that Jesus brought back on him with the word of God. And I love that because I never really thought about that before, and that was a really cool way to think about it, that the truth of the word of God, when we jab, when we fight, when we speak that word over our circumstances, it actually hurts the enemy. So... How do we engage the enemy in spiritual warfare? I'm going to give you five quick things to wrap this up uh, as far as the armor goes, okay? Five quick things. A healthy spiritual life, a relationship with Jesus, that is key. That is key. Because if you don't have a consistent uh, time in the Word, a consistent prayer time, a consistent time of worship, spending that time with God, if that's not consistent in your life, do you think that's going to be a healthy relationship? Of course not. Any relationship that you have in your life has to be fostered, has to be nurtured, has to be cared for, okay? If you have a friend that moves away and you stop speaking to them for years, they come back, it's fun to see them, it's cool to see them, but do you still have the same connection that you used to have? No, because you, you have separate lives. You haven't been connected the way that you used to be. And everything you do have is in the past. Fond memories from the past, things from the past. Oh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? But you have no idea who this person is because you completely lost contact with them. 
And that's what happens if we lose touch in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this might sound all like, oh, yeah, 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 my relationship with Jesus, it sounds all so cliche, and that's what a Christian's supposed to say, I have a relationship with Jesus, yada, 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 but I'm being very, very serious. If you neglect that time with God through his word, through prayer, just talking to him, sometimes I'm driving in the car and I'll just turn off the radio and I'll just talk to God. I'll pray, I'll just talk to God and say, God, you know, will you help me? Will you help me speak clearly and speak well and not speak too fast tonight during church? Will you help the service to go well? Will you help the, the students that come in tonight to their eyes and hearts to be open? I'm going to just, just talk. Just ask God. Just talk to him about the service, okay? That's spending time with God. That's having a conversation with God. And sometimes you just have to sit and be quiet and listen for God as well. Listen for the unction of the Holy Spirit. Listen for his guidance, okay? Spending time in worship. Worshiping God. He desires us to worship him. We worship him not just on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, not just during that time of worship when we're singing. Hopefully we're all connected and engaged in that. But outside of church as well, worshiping God with your life, with the choices that you make by, by um, telling other people about Jesus, by sharing your faith, that's an act of worship. Tithing is an act of worship. Giving of your time and your material goods, that is an act of worship, okay? All of these things come into play in building a healthy spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, understand your position in Christ. Understanding your position. What have we said about that? Who are you in Christ? Jeremy, who are you in Christ? You're a mighty man of God. Yeah, excellent. Justin, who are you in Christ? You are a new creation in Christ. All right, good. Faith, who are you in Christ? You are faith. You have faith, but who are you in Christ? What is your position? Yeah, his child. You are, you are his child. You have the position of a son and daughter, son or daughter of God. Which, what does that do? That affords you many benefits and blessings that somebody outside the family of God does not have claim to. Absolutely. You are a child of the Most High God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible gives us three positions that we have, okay? And that it probably gives us more than this breaking down, but they all fit under these three general categories uh, as far as I can see. We are a child of God, so we are sons and daughters of God, which gives us the benefits and promises of being part of the family, right? Right? Right. So, can anybody outside of your family just walk into your home and start eating your food? No. Depending on your family, they'd probably get a beat down, right? <laughs> what are you doing in my house? However, if you walk into your house and start eating your food, that's okay, because you're part of the family, right? Right? Now, I would imagine I could walk into anybody's house and start eating your food because we're all family, right? Okay. But does that make sense? If a complete stranger walks into your house who's not part of your family and starts eating your food, that's not okay. That's not okay to do, right? So as children, hey guys, focus, focus, focus. As children of God, we have access to God's provision. Does that make sense? We have access to his provision. That's why the Bible says that we are blessed. 
God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What, what does that mean? Basically, that means that God owns it all. He's got more than enough to take care of us, to take care of our families. And as children of God, we are provided for, and we can stand on that promise, stand in our position as a child of God. Next one is, the Bible says that we are priests and priestesses of God. Now, in the Old Testament, what was the job of a priest? Who can tell me? Yeah, they worked with the sacrifices, but overarching, and that's exactly what they did, but yes. Yeah, that's all right. Through the sacrifices and through the, their, their duties as a priest, they connected people and God, right? They had the unique position to connect people to God. And do you know what? You have that unique position as well. You are a priest or a priestess of God. That means it is your duty. You get the awesome responsibility of connecting people with God. That's a big task. But that's also your position. That's also who you are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, we are sons and daughters. We are priests and priestesses. And the Bible says we are kings and queens. Now, isn't that something? You are a king or queen in the eyes of God. Now, what is a king or a queen? What do they have? Authority. They have ultimate authority. God has given us all authority, which means that wherever you place your feet, wherever you go, you have authority over circumstances, over attacks of the enemy, over anything that would try to come against you. You have authority over those things. Okay? You may not be able to exercise that authority over people because people have their own individual authority and their individual wills. So you can't say, I have authority over you because I'm a child of God, and that's not how it works. But you have authority over your life, over your circumstances, over, uh, even over uh, the circumstances that would try to come against your family. You have a measure of authority over your, you know, your family as like if a tax were to come against your family, you can claim authority over your family, that type of thing. But we are called kings and queens. It means we have authority. God has given us authority here on earth to operate under his will, to operate and use his word and to, uh, to fight, to, to stand against those circumstances and to, and to claim what's ours. Okay, so understanding your position. Number three, discern what demonic influences may be the cause. Now, this is the one we talked about. This is kind of what we started talking about when we started talking about spiritual warfare, okay? Not everything that happens uh, bad in your life or in your, during your day is just kind of because. There could be a certain influence behind that, and we have to be able to discern and understand that so we know how to fight against it. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so you have to be able to discern that. If there's a spiritual or demonic influence behind something that's attacking you, we have to know that. We have to understand that so that we can fight against it. Remember, every single day we need to be putting on our armor of God. Number four, claim God's promises out loud. Claim God's promises out loud. I'm going to give you 1 John 4.4. 4. Hunter, I think I gave you that one. 1 John 4.4. 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won the victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Did you hear that? The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. 
We have to be able to speak that promise out among other promises that God has given us. We need to know that, believe it, and speak it out. Does that make sense? We need to be able to speak those promises out, claim God's promises out loud, and use them in that spiritual warfare. Number five, take our authority and position in Christ to command those forces that they cease their activity and leave. You have to be ready to go to battle. You have to be ready to take up that spiritual armor and go to battle. We cannot be timid or meek. We have to be ready to take those weapons that God has given us and fight. And our primary weapon of fighting, our primary attack, is God's word. It's God's promise, and you have to know it to use it. Okay? If I have a sword tied to my hip, and yet I have no idea what it is, how to use it, or what it's for, it's completely useless in my fight. So when we go to battle every single day, be ready for battle. When we go to battle, you need to understand who you are in Christ. You need to understand God's word. You need to understand that we are to live out the righteousness of Christ. We are to understand that we have salvation, that salvation has been afforded to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we are saved, which gives us our position and our authority in Christ Jesus. We have to understand the shield of faith. We have to understand that we can block those things with God's promises, with the Word of God, and we have to understand that we have a sword, the Word of God, the spoken word to attack the enemy, to bring the fight to the enemy. These are all things that we have to have an awareness of and understand how to use to be able to put on our armor each and every day and do battle. All right? Can we do that? Can you guys do that? I hope so, because it's crucial. It is so crucial, because if you don't, if you're not ready, and like I said, number step number one was having that healthy spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Consistent. Consistency in that relationship with Jesus Christ. That will help the rest of this stuff begin to fall into place. Be led by the Spirit. Understand God's Word. Know God's Word. Be able to utilize God's Word every single day. But that means you have to be in His Word to know His Word. Everybody stand up. Worship team, you guys can come on up.